So Alexandria, so good to have you on with us today. And I've been thinking about how you're you're very uniquely positioned in that you you live in DC, you work in on the Hill, and you work with you know policy related issues, and then also you're an IC alum, and you have one foot in the Christian world as well. So you kind of have your finger on the pulse of you know what's happening in the Christian culture, and um, you know a, a pretty unique ability to then take the information from each of those places and help us meld them together. I'm just curious, I'll just jump right in and ask you, what are people talking about in DC right now? There's a lot going on. Um, I think that right now we have uh, Congress and political parties that are just at odds with one another and they're taking very extreme stances um, and yet there's quite a few people who are being vocal about that not being okay. Um, from a policy perspective, representing Kufi, we don't get into anything other than what's related to Israel. Mm -hmm. But I will say, as far as knowing where things can go, knowing the playing field is important. So for us, understanding what conversations are being had, even if it doesn't pertain to our policy, um, can predict if our policy can move or if it's not being focused on right now. Um, because there's conflicting interests. And that's what's taking place mm -hmm. and that's what's happening. Kufi Action Fund, uh, one of our most important policy items right now is replenishing Iron Dome funding. And mm -hmm. that passed through the House, overwhelmingly bipartisan support. And now it's uh, been getting stuck in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Wow. So let's go into... What, what is Iron Dome and why is it so important? What are the ramifications of whether it passes or doesn't pass? Yeah. So a little history is needed on Iron Dome before we can get into why this bill should move forward, why funding matters to the US, right? Um, Iron Dome is a short range anti-rocket system that was developed by Israel. So as we know, Israel has since its modern day inception, been attacked from its neighbors, um, from uh, people that don't think that they have the right to exist. And what came from constantly being attacked and their uh, population uh, being faced with just either extinction or fighting for their right to exist, Israel and Israelis chose to fight. And we see that time and time and time again, this system was developed for their safety to keep rockets from coming into Israel and hitting populations. So the, the system itself is a targeting system that has radar and it fires interceptors only at incoming projectiles. And the purpose of that is to make sure that rockets do not hit uh, populated areas or strategically important sites. And um, it's a system that is mobile. It could be moved. So it could be on uh, a hilltop overlooking Gaza if need be, or it could be moved to the other side where the West Bank is and protect Israel and um, Jerusalem and that area, mm -hmm. depending on a conflict, a threat, what's going on. 
Um, the system itself is fairly new. It was declared operational in 2011, but it was used in the field in 2012 during a week-long conflict where Palestinian um, militant groups, Hamas, which is backed by Iran, uh, started uh, throwing rockets into Israel. And the Iron Dome actually intercepted 85% of the over 400 rockets that were fired from Gaza into Israel, which is incredible. It's the first of its kind that was defensive and that was mobile and that was able to be used in this kind of capacity. So since its inception, Israel has made upgrades to the system, advancements on the firing mechanisms, and now the system has the capability of a 90% accuracy rate. So where we saw this past May, something very similar to why this system was created in the beginning, militant group Hamas in uh, Gaza firing rockets, but now it was a lot more than 400. And uh, Iron Dome systems were implemented to really save the population in those areas from being decimated. And so uh, without Iron Dome, what imagine that situation Hamas is launching, I think it was over, it was in the thousands. It was rockets at, you know, populated areas with the specific intent Mm -hmm. of killing as many innocent Israelis as they can. And I'll just say Hamas is a terror organization whose stated aim is to destroy Israel and the Jewish people around the world. I always make that distinction. So it's very, it's targeted towards Jewish people. It's an anti-Semitic movement that has weapons. And without the Iron Dome, what would that look like? These rockets flying into these civilian areas of Israel or, or any country, just imagine. What would I think one of the one of the many things that's so fascinating about Iron Dome is that it's it's nonviolent. Like you said, it's a defensive mechanism. So all it does is knock a rocket out of the sky, yeah. basically. Yeah. And that means if if that technology or say the funding for it didn't exist, what is it what does it mean if someone's launching rockets into your country? Well, your only choice then is is all out war because you have to remove right. that threat, obviously. Right. But Iron Dome seems to me to prevent that and really be um, a peacekeeping stabilizing presence in the region that prevents either us or other countries becoming embroiled in some kind of larger conflict. Right. And I think historically we can look back prior to Iron Dome um, being created and see the consequences to those very actions. But what's scary now is these terrorist organizations are well-equipped. They're a lot more equipped than they were previously. So where they would get on a bus and they'd become a suicide bomber, that's devastating and awful. Um, Their reach is so much more um, than it was then. And it can take out complete cities and not just a bus with say 50 people, which is still very catastrophic. Um, But this is the reality that Israel lives in every day. So they have an incentive to think up these kind of systems to protect themselves where everywhere else in the world, they don't have that same motivation. And um, it was noticed internationally. And I think um, Americans care and America got involved because 
this technology that Israel created was so unique and um, it had such success that it was a form of um, pride to say, we have this capability and if we needed to use it, we can. So procedurally, what's the holdup in the Senate then? Procedurally, when you talk about things happening on the floor of the House or the Senate, there's different procedures for each chamber. And the Senate is unique and different from the House and vice versa. And so we uh, have this thing called unanimous consent. And what that means is a member of Congress can go down to the Senate floor and they can ask for a piece of policy to move forward with unanimous consent. And since Iron Dome funding passed overwhelmingly in the House, you would assume that it would have the bipartisan support from Republicans and Democrats to move through without any issues. But as we've seen now four times, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky has gone down to the floor and objected to the Iron Dome funding moving forward. And he has said, and historically he has always been, against foreign aid. Um, that's just a principled stance that he has had. But when it comes to our greatest ally, Israel, we need to be advocating and passionate and um, anticipating what needs to be done and why. Yeah, very good. So, I mean, just considering uh, you mentioned Senator Paul's sort of, I guess, ethical dilemma with just believing that, you know, no foreign aid is is ever okay. I mean, I, I would argue that in this case, it's, if there was ever a, a case to be made, even if you're not just looking, you, you can make the moral case, this is a population that is under attack and they're a democracy, they're an ally, they are um, a country that's very friendly to us. And I think that's that's worth defending. Yeah, yeah. Number one, number two, economically, I think it's a very, it's a very good deal in terms of keeping peace and stability in the Middle East, really for Israel and a lot of the neighboring countries. Um, yeah. There's a lot of other countries that appreciate and benefit from the stability that something like this creates in their region. Yeah, and um, Americans have been told this, and I think the reality isn't um, quite understood because of Israel's placement um, in the Middle East, but those that seek to do Israel harm also seek to hurt the U.S. Yeah. And for instance, Iran has been very vocal about wanting to destroy Israel, but Israel's the little Satan, and they say this. It's a phrase that they use often, and the U.S. is the big Satan. And so while Iran has uh, these terrorist cells like Hamas in Gaza or Hezbollah in Lebanon, mm -hmm. uh, the U.S. Is, is farther away. And so unfortunately, the threat really is the first line of defense is Israel for the U.S. And that's important. But yet there's another element here that is taking place present day. And it's this great shift of powers in the Middle East. There's this vacuum and it's been happening and transpiring for a little bit now. But what we can see is the US has this policy change that is being rapidly um, happening from one administration to another. And they're conflicting. Prior to, uh, I'd say the last two administrations, foreign policy, especially in regards to the Middle East has pretty been pretty consistent. 
yet now we see there's these vast changes and some of them have been good and some of it has been hurtful. But right now, countries like Russia, China, Iran have picked up on this shift and this um, question of what is US's role in the Middle East? What does that look like for the future? Is there a future for the US here? Um, are we going to be more um, held back from uh, our power that we had before? It's all taking place and it's all playing out on the international stage right now. Um, mm -hmm. But it's harmful to the US on many fronts, diplomatically, economically, socially. Um, but the violence is really set at the feet of Israel, unfortunately. Wow. So what would you say are some of the good things that that have happened? Um, yeah, I think let's take it back to the Iron Dome, right? So the U.S. plays a huge role. And one of those is being able to provide funds and have these strategic relationships with people and countries um, on the ground that are closer to the conflict areas. So if we're looking at Israel, uh, to date, the U.S. has provided $1.6 for Israel to develop Iron Dome batteries, interceptors. And then there was this um, strategic alliance. And after Iron Dome was developed, like I said, in 2011, um, Congress saw the capability that this technology had, and they wanted to enter in, in a co-production and technology sharing agreement with Israel. That agreement happened in 2014. And what that meant was Israel would give these plans that no one else in the world has um, to the US technology on Iron Dome, how it works, how they created it. Um, part of the Iron Dome would be produced here in the U.S., creating jobs, giving back to our economy, mm. and uh, it would give this relationship that was extremely unique and no one else had. And it put us on a different level as well, because Israel, who had this technology that we didn't, um, gave us the rights to be able to learn from what they had developed. And... Um, now we see that every year we, we allocate a certain amount of funds to replenishing the Iron Dome system because it's extremely expensive. And uh, because Israel had this uh, May attack from Hamas in Gaza, their system is pretty depleted right now. And it's our duty from this agreement and to our ally to make good on our promises and our agreement. And that is funding and replenishing this Iron Dome system, which is why it's so important. Um, That's good. And so, yeah. sorry, sorry, there's a little delay on Zoom. Uh, that's, it's a two-way street then. It's not just, you know, American tax dollars going to something that they don't see any benefit from. We've talked about how it right. creates stability in the region. We've talked about how it's it's mutually beneficial in every way with jobs, with security, with everything, which I think is really important to understand. Yeah. Um, our, our friendship and alliance with Israel, as well as many other allies around the world is, is to our mutual benefit. And, you know, I think this is just kind of a life principle that, that I try to apply and that it's certainly not something I thought of, but basically what you ignore doesn't go away. 
right. it just gets bigger and more dangerous. And the more you try to ignore it or run away from it, the more it will just chase you. So right. it's better right. to address things early on, prevent the rocket from even hitting anywhere rather than be caught off guard and surprised. And then now the, the price of responding when you are forced to respond mm -hmm. is so much higher. Right. And I, I think too, um, it's good just to keep in mind that we, we can't allow a precedent to be set on holding up legislation when it pertains to Israel. Um, I get strategically as someone who works in policy, who's um, had relationships on the Hill, who's worked on the Hill, um, floor time is very precious and there has to be some strategy behind it. Um, I think that is not happening right now in Congress, especially in the Senate. Um, but what is extremely concerning is having one member of Congress hold up this vital piece of legislation and make excuses for why they don't want it to move forward and hold it hostage when it's so important right now. Um, it's only by the grace of God that something else hasn't happened in regards to Israel needing to use this Iron Dome system. And what happens if that does? And God forbid citizens are hurt because the U.S. didn't hold up its end of their agreement and um, their promise to provide these funds and replenishment to the Iron Dome system. And so I think we need to hold people accountable to that. And, and this kind of behavior is not okay. It always happens when we're talking about Israel and funding Israel. And um, we need to be careful um, how we just take someone's word for that's not going to happen and be, and be like, oh, okay, well, we'll look for another way to pass this really important piece of legislation. No, the, the buck stops with one person. And I think the more people understand that, um, the less they're going to be able to do this in the, in the, in the um, future mm -hmm. and the more uh, likelihood we'll have at actually moving this forward. Mm -hmm. Which is very good. I think just in general, I mean, you look at something like the Abraham Accords. Yeah. And you have all of these countries in the Middle East who, you know, some who were traditionally opposed to Israel, you know, mm -hmm. history of violence towards Israel and so on. And yet, because of American leadership, American resolve, and I would say some, you know, it's very innovative initiative, these countries are changing and changing their relationship to Israel because other factors have changed and they want to they don't want to miss out on the opportunities and the, the stability and so on that comes with that um i think it's a respect factor right like um israel has become this major player in in the technology advancements that it really has developed and people cannot look away from all that they're accomplishing right and and they have respect because of that. Um, and so people that are leaders of countries that really did not give them the credit of being um, a major player, their tunes are changing and they're seeing it's going to be mutually beneficial. And I don't think other Arab countries that have come forward last year and hopefully 
uh, there's some more to come this year, would even consider that if it wasn't for the benefit that they would have. And I think mm -hmm. the UAE is a really good example of this. Israel and the UAE are starting off on a space um, agreement and exploration, and they're doing that together. And uh, the UAE tried to do that on their own and it wasn't successful. And so now they really see the benefit of partnering with Israel and doing that together and maybe where it could go in the future. Um, and to the Iron Dome end and to the US really needing to recognize uh, the respect that Israel has for our country and vice versa, but we're the only country right now that has this technology. And the UAE did ask Israel to partner with them and give them the technology for Iron Dome, it was denied. Um, and there's different security reasons and um, that is a lot more nuanced than um, just, okay, yeah, sure, you're our friend, we'll give you that technology. Right. But I think it's a good example, especially with current events that just happened the other day where a terrorist organization, the Houthis, I mean, they were designated, now they're not designated, but they had a terrorist act committed against them and having the Iron Dome system could have been beneficial. And so I think Americans need to wake up to the reality of we have these uh, gifts and they're not meaningless and we need to come to the table and show the respect that's first of all earned and should be given um, because the majority of Americans and the majority of people in Congress agree that this is a no-brainer and that it's important and that this shouldn't even be anything that we are discussing it should just be done but it's not well said well i i, I definitely have have faith that eventually it will be pushed through because i do think that most people do recognize that and see that um and it's just a matter of time so I agree. Um, but it's because of the the work that that people like you do on the hill you know um really well, explaining and educating because it's not it's not immediately obvious how you know one thing affects another but right and very clear. Uh, the action fund would not be able to um amplify our message at all if it weren't for our grassroots and the people that are involved in kufa and the people that care to listen and educate themselves and learn so um you know we're we're there as the tip of the spear but without that power and push behind us, it would be meaningless and it would fall flat. So um, people that uh, are gonna stand up and are gonna join the ranks of those that aren't going to allow and go quietly, um, that is what change is gonna bring about. So um, our members are, they are so precious and such a blessing. And I think um, it's unique. It's something that's extremely unique and I'm grateful for it. It definitely is. So if if I'm a just an average Christian out there that wants to get involved or learn more, where would you say I should go to do that? Uh, so our website is uh, a it has a plethora of information. Um, you can go to cufi.org. Mm -hmm. And then the action fund has a separate email, which is cufiactionfund.org. Um, and that you can sign up for our weekly updates and you'll get that. It goes more into depth on the policy because we're wonk, wonky when it gets into the weeds and a little, we geek out a little bit. Um, but I think, I think that it's gonna be extremely um, beneficial and it's a tool that they should utilize. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So 
cufi.org, CUFI Action Fund. Was it .org as well? Yes. Okay, perfect. Check those out if you just want to learn more and get involved, because I think one of the things that's so cool about CUFI is regular people can talk directly to their Congress people. You can, you can write them letters, you can sign a petition, you can call their office. They're right now, um, you know, Rand Paul is hearing from us, for example, and we're making our voices heard. And he knows there are a lot of people in Kentucky that really care about this issue. And that this is this is money very well spent. It's um, a very good investment and it's a two-way street. It comes back exactly. and really um, benefits us and promotes stability and peace for all in the region. You know, whether they live in, inside Israel's borders or in a neighboring country, they're all benefiting from it. And a lot of people over there know that and appreciate that. So, so is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? Yeah, I think our folks would like to know that. Um, while we're doing policy items here on the federal level, we are very much um, engaged in at the state levels as well. So we're touching on anti-BDS, Holocaust education, and normalizing the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. It's a mouthful. We call it IRA, definition of anti-Semitism, because if you can't define what anti-Semitism is, you can't defeat it. So those three things are really important and our members should be looking out for us alerting them to what's taking place at the state level as well as, as well as the federal. Mm, so good. I had, I was the beneficiary of Holocaust education, um, you know, in eighth grade, like, I don't know how I long ago. Too. And I, sometimes I wonder if I would even be here or, or doing this job or would have ever taken interest in any of this without that and without understanding what anti-Semitism was, just what you said. And then when I saw it, in my case, um, on my college campus, that's really where my story begins, I recognized it right away and I took action against it. And, um, you know, now here we are. So couldn't agree more. And uh, KUFI also has a lot of good resources on that as well. If, you know, <laughs> if you're not in eighth grade anymore and you, you want to read up on it, um, again, go to that website and check that out. So thanks again, Alexandria. So Thank good to be talking with you. Let's talk again soon. All right.